Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. Here we're going to be on page 722, 722 of the church Bibles today. Be Psalm 146. <clears throat> all right. First of all, we're going to keep Adam Placentia in our prayer. Sounds like he's 
on the road to recovery. That's a big amen there. Amanda, we've got you on the prayer list. Bless you. We're going to pray that things get settled out for you. Things get better and you get to feeling better, okay? And we're going to pray for Teresa continue uh, this week as it looks like they're still working on their move. Uh, they're having to relocate. Looks like they may be going to Merkel area, but we're not sure about that. So uh, we'll keep them in our prayers as they try to get all the details worked out on that. All right, let's start in verse 1, Psalm 146, and we're going to go through 7. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for what a privilege it is to come to your house and give you honor and praise. We do thank you, Jesus. Uh, hallelujah to your name. Thank you for all you've done for each of us, and we pray, God, you continue every day until our last day, you continue to, to refine who we are as followers of you. Uh, we bless you. We do, we do lift up these today, <clears throat> Adam, Lord, and the, uh, we bless you for uh, the success of the surgery, but Lord, we pray you continue to work uh, healing his physical body uh, after this surgery. And we also pray for Amanda. We pray you give the doctors wisdom on how to help her and how to help her feel better soon, Lord Jesus. And uh, I just know um, in these situations where there's not a lot of answers sometimes, Lord, it's when we can lean on you uh, all the way. And you are the one, uh, Lord, who can work in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, we also pray for Teresa and her family, Lord, as they consider relocating, that you will open the right door for them. Uh, and close the doors that they don't need to walk through in this move so that you will have them placed exactly where you would have them be and it would all go well in this relocation, in this move. We bless you, Lord, for the day that we can come and give you honor and praise and that we can, Lord, know that you are the God who speaks truth forever and your ways stand until the end of forever. We bless you. We thank you for this time together, and Lord, we just trust you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength for you to work in our hearts today as your word is proclaimed, and we sing praises to your name. We bless you in your name, Jesus, today. Amen.
Oh! 
Good morning. <clears throat> well, I loved every one of those songs this morning and, and just loved the opportunity to come and worship the Lord. And um, thank you, Daniel, for those places of reminding us that all glory and honor and praise goes to him this morning. And so I... Uh, I'm excited about this message, so if you'll turn with me, we'll be in Romans 6. We've been studying in Romans the last few weeks, so we're going to be on page 1298. Page 1298 in Romans. <clears throat> so our message today will be in Romans 6. Give you a second to get there. But I want to go back and talk just a second, be refreshed a little bit about the message from last week that Daniel brought us. So if you'll turn back one page to Romans 5. <clears throat> so Romans 5, page 1297. I just want to refresh so that we're going into Romans 6, understanding and remembering what Paul has written to us in Romans 5. So Romans 5, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory 
of God. So Daniel gave a great understanding last week, and we won't go into all of it. So if you missed last week or if you just want to be refreshed on that, you can certainly pick that up online. But I want to pull out just a couple of places here in verse 5. So he says, Therefore, having been justified, made righteous before, made righteous before God. Uh, and he, then he says, We have peace. And that peace, uh, Daniel talked about this place of peace. We have peace, not just that everything around us is not chaotic and, and kind of crazy. That's not the kind of peace that Daniel helped us understand last night. But it's peace between us and God. And the reason that there needs to be that peace, I believe if you look down in verse 10, <clears throat> Chapter 5, verse 10, it says that we were enemies with God. And Daniel talked about this a little bit, about how we see the enemies of each other and in battles between different countries. And we don't think about sometimes that we were enemies of God before we were justified. So if you've not been justified before God, then you're still an enemy of God, and there is no peace between you and God. And then it comes on to say <clears throat> that through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this place of grace, we have access by faith into this place of grace. And Daniel did a, a fabulous job of helping us to understand that this place of grace, and sometimes there is so much talked about in grace, grace upon grace upon grace in the churches today, but it's talked about in a way that's not biblical. It's just, thank goodness that we that Jesus died, we can do whatever we want to do and be okay wherever we want to be because Jesus died. And so there's grace. And we have this idea that there's grace excusing us for the life that we live. And this is not the place that Paul is explaining to us of what this grace that through faith you have access to. Rather, it's into God's plan. You see, his plan is the grace. You see, you were enemies of God, destined for hell because of our sinful nature. And out of God's grace, he made a way for us, a plan for us. That is his grace, that he would create a way that we could no longer be enemies because you can't be good enough to not be an enemy of God. That's what the first four chapters of Romans are about is that your goodness is, is, is not enough to justify you before a holy God. But God in his grace made a plan whereby you can be justified and have peace. But only when you, through faith, have come into his plan. 
of salvation. I have people come a lot of times and they, they want to pray that their life is, is in a mess. And they said, I, I just want to pray that I would have peace. And I thought, that is such an American thought. <laughs> but it's not a biblical thought. Because what they want is just that everything would calm down in their life and everything would be okay. That is not what Paul is talking about, peace. He is talking about the peace that comes in knowing that you're in God's plan and justified before him because of the blood of Jesus. I want to look at a couple of other scriptures in in chapter 5 before we go on. Look down at verse 12. In verse 11... Um, well, let's start in 11. It says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The reconciliation, Paul is just saying it one more way of being justified. He's saying you've been reconciled together. You're no longer an enemy You've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus. And then verse 12 says, therefore. So he's saying, and because of this, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus sin spread to all men because all sin. He's, he's reminding everyone, he's in the church of Rome, as he's reminding us today, that just as Adam sinned, just as he sinned, and sin entered the world, death through sin entered as well. So Paul is helping us be reminded that one man, Adam, sinned and opened the opportunity for sin to be spread to who? To all men. That's why you were an enemy of God, is you were born in sin. Because sin spread through Adam to every man, per every person, man, woman, child. And then death through sin entered. So because of sin, death has a right. <clears throat> and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So let's pick up again in verse um, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience Many were made sinners. So again, he's talking about Adam. He's simply saying it one more way. He's saying, but as far as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So Paul is explaining how this is that, yes, by one man, all of mankind was made to be a sinner. 
But he's saying, but. So also, by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. So he's telling us, he's saying, yes, Adam sinned, and all of mankind is now under the curse of that sin. But Jesus, because of his obedience, not the disobedience that Adam had, but the obedience that Jesus walked in, even unto death, through him, all mankind who come into the plan, into the grace that God has worked out through the blood of Jesus, will be made righteous. Verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace abounds much more. So he's telling us that the law was given, that, that people would know the sin. It enlarged the sin. In fact, the law, the Torah, the commandments, the statutes, that it was given that people could look and read in it and go, yes, I see my sin. It, Paul talks about it being a mirror. And, the, and looking into the law, and it defines who you, who you are in the eyes of God. It shows you your sin. It's also instruction for life. So not only does it show us that we've sinned, but it allows us to see what walking in righteousness looks like to God. Verse 21 says, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. So he's saying that, yes, as sin reigned and in death was the result of sin, then, it, then he's saying that even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Yes, it's true. Even so, God's plan might reign through righteousness, through right standing with God, that would bring us into eternal life. But oftentimes this place gets twisted and saying that, well, thank goodness Jesus died, we have grace, and we're all okay. That's not what he's saying. And Paul is so quick to answer this question for us as he starts chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's, he's saying, I, I know you're going to have this question. It's exactly what's going on in today's world. That sin is being excused in the name of grace. And Paul says, real quickly, he says, what should we say then? That we should continue in sin, that grace may abound? In other words, more sin will just have more grace? 
Paul says, certainly not. And he gives a big exclamation point right here. He said, absolutely not. In fact, in some places it says, heaven forbid. He is astounded that this thought would even be considered. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul is saying, if you are in the plan of grace, if you are walking in this place of being justified and right standing before God, How could you possibly walk in sin? That's what he's saying. How could you possibly be sinning if you're claiming to be a follower, a believer, a Christian? How could you be in sin? And basically what he's saying is that's impossible. Because he's saying in verse 2, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He's saying, how if you are a follower of Jesus, how can you live in this any longer? You've died to it. And then in verse 3, he says, or do you not know as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Now, I want you to understand something right here. And this gets mistaught in a lot of places in a lot of churches as well. This is not talking about water baptism. Not at all. It's not all of this place through Romans 6, none of it has anything to do with water baptism. And we can't get that mixed up. So just because somebody's been water baptized does not mean that they are truly justified and righteous before God. In fact, I would tell you lots of people have been water baptized and are not walking in right standing with God. And I want to tell you I was one of them. I was baptized at 12. And then I was baptized in my 30s. And neither time was I truly a follower of Jesus because I had not done what Paul is talking about right here. You see, the best way to understand this is Paul is saying in verse 3, or do you not know that as many of you were immersed in Christ Jesus? immersed into who he is. Overwhelmed. I I looked this word up just to have some better words to give you because it's such a powerful place of this place of being immersed in him. So this word baptism means exactly that, just immersed. And, and, and I think about it in a place of if you're in the ocean and you just took your arms and fell back 
and we watched this show that they had this big ship on, remember? And the lady's out there on it, the Titanic, and she's out there flying across the ocean. And I thought, yeah, if you could just imagine just falling back into the ocean off of a big ship or off of a big rock or what, and you were just immersed in all of the ocean, but confident in that the ocean was providing for you everything you needed for life. Overwhelmed is another word that is used of this word immersed and baptized. This place of being overwhelmed in who he is. Completely covered. Immersed. Has nothing to do with water baptism right here. Water baptism is a picture of what Paul is talking about. But first, before you can get to water baptism, this place of being immersed in who Jesus is has to happen. Or you're just swimming in water. Immersed in who he is. But then it goes on to say, Paul says, Do you not know that as many of you were immersed in Christ Jesus, were immersed into his death? I don't think we talk about this enough, that when we get to this place and someone says, I want to be baptized because I've given my life to Jesus, I think at that point, from now on, I want to say, have you been immersed into his death? Because that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, in this place to be justified, like he was talking about over here in, in 5, saying that you've been justified and that you have peace and that you have grace. Now, in his plan, in through Christ Jesus, then he's saying, then, not only have you have peace and that you're justified and that you have grace, but he's saying, I want to tell you a little bit more about this place of being immersed in Jesus. It's not just being peace and grace, but it's also being immersed into his death. Immersed into his death. What does that look like? It comes to a place where we begin to see truly who we are in our darkness. And that Jesus didn't die that we could keep our darkness. Jesus died to pay the penalty for my darkness. And that's why he comes and he says, bring your cross, take up your cross and follow me. He's saying, you've got to die, Deb. I just want to look at that. Put your marker here. 
and turn with me to page 1131. And it's on uh, John, no, I'm sorry, it's Mark um, 16, page 1131. think it's interesting because I'd never noticed where this was. But it's shortly after Peter claims that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so I want you to look at that, starting in verse 16 of chapter Mark 6, I'm sorry, I said Mark, it's actually Matthew, so if you're in the wrong place, it's Matthew 16 on page 1131, Matthew 16, and Jesus is saying to the disciples sitting there, he says, who do you say I am? So this is so powerful when you see this. In verse 16, Simon Peter answers, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's saying, Yes, yes, that's who I am. And God has revealed to you that I am the Son of God. And I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he, it, he, was, the, he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen. I'm sorry. Far be it, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So, Jesus and Peter are walking along just after he says that you are the son of God. And Peter is saying, I know you're talking about that you must suffer and be uh, killed and raised on the third day. And Peter's saying, no, I I don't want this to happen to you. Which is just how we are. We feel like God probably doesn't know what he's talking about. And then he says, in verse 23, he says, but he turned and said to Peter, so Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. So he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because he knows that coming out of Peter are the very words of Satan. 
Even though Jesus has just asked him, who do you say I am? And Peter says, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, my goodness, this is such a picture and such an understanding. He says, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And then Jesus says, then Jesus said to the disciples, listen to this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not enough. Jesus is saying it's not enough to know I am the Son of God. In fact, if we read, we see that the demons know who he is, and it says they tremble because they know he's the Son of God. So he's telling Peter and all the disciples, he says it's not enough. For you to know that I am the Son of God. People tell me all the time, they said, oh yeah, I, I know uh, Jesus is the Son of God. I think I'm good. I think I'm going to heaven because I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know that he came to earth and walked on this earth. I know that he died and was buried for three days and three nights and rose again. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm comfortable that I'm going to heaven because I know these things. And I want to tell you it was not enough for Peter. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, You've got to take up your cross and deny yourself. Take up your cross. That means get your cross up here and nail yourself to it and deny what you want, but that you want to be immersed even until his death. You know, there's all kinds of understanding over this place of being immersed. And, and in some places it talks about being immersed and baptized by the Holy Spirit. Immersed into the Holy Spirit. In, in fact, in, uh, in, um, uh, in Mark 10, which we won't turn there, I won't turn you there because, but it talks about being baptized into his suffering. How many of you today want to be baptized into Jesus' suffering? Let's do turn there. I just think it's good to see. It's on page 1166, Mark, Mark 10. In fact, let's just start over on page, the page before in verse 24 so that you understand what he's saying. So Mark 10, verse 24. 
Then the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered them and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then, and they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who can be saved? And listen what he says. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, not with God, for with God, I'm sorry, with men it is impossible, but with God, for with God all things are possible. Now that's what I want you to hear. Um, am I giving you the right place? Though so that's not where I was going. Mark 10, 27. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to see where it was called to into suffer. <laughs> okay, look at 37. So look on down. It says, They said to him, Grant us that we. So um, James and John are talking to Jesus right here. And in verse 37 of. Mark 10, it says, They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. I just think that's hilarious too. These two guys that are disciples are saying, Listen, listen, Jim, Jesus, we've been thinking through this thing. And when we all get to heaven, we'd like to have the first seat right by you. And one of us can sit on one side and one on the other side. And so I, you probably hadn't had time to think through all that. So here's our plan. And uh, I just see how uh, arrogant we are. But in verse 38, but Jesus says to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the, baptize, with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. But he is telling them right here, they are actually going to be baptized and suffer and immersed into the suffering and into the death of Jesus. Now go back with me to Romans and um, Romans 6. I wrote down over here and, I, and it's a good place to understand. And Jesus was just giving me these words. He said, being baptized into his death is more than just being forgiven of our sins. And I thought, I see that, Lord. Being forgiven of our sins is powerful. And Jesus paid the penalty for that. And when he was nailed to the cross, 
he was paying the penalty for our sins. But when we come and just say, Lord, we want to be forgiven of our sins, I see that he is saying, then you've got to be immersed into my death. You've got to be nailed to the cross. Just like I was. I did it physically. You're doing it spiritually. But you have to come in this place of seeing the darkness, the way God sees the darkness, to be nailed to the cross, to decide, I don't want this anymore. I choose for this to be immersed into your death. I choose to be immersed in that place. Verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. When we have a baptism, I go to this very scripture and I read verse 4 where it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. It is a picture of, in water baptism of what spiritually you have done with the Father. That you are choosing right here that we were buried. You're choosing to be buried with Jesus. Baptized, does it say that? Yes, it does, through baptism into his death. So when you come and you want to be baptized, I, I want you to know that what we want to know from you, have you been immersed into his death, that you are buried, that all of your fleshly ways, that what you want in life no longer has authority, that you are dying to yourself. <coughs> that you are being buried. I think it's so important. It's about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Because the burial, mm, the burial had to happen. It confirms the death. It confirms the death. And then it says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall walk in newness of life. So you are buried, confirming you've died to yourself before God. To be raised up out of the water as a picture that you have died to yourself, you have been buried and that you are being raised up by the power of God. Just as he raised up Jesus on the cross, he's going to raise you up to walk in newness of life. He gives you that authority to walk in his ways. Then in verse 5, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
If we have joined in this place in the likeness of his death, God in his faithfulness will raise you up in the likeness. Right? To walk in a resurrected life. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Knowing this, you see, knowing this, that you were united with him in death, that you were crucified, that you were crucified. Why? That the body of sin might be done away with and that should no longer that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You were crucified. You nailed your desires, your ways, your thoughts, your your sin, all of all of who you were. The old man is nailed to the cross. That you no longer will be a slave to it. It has no authority. It's dead. It's dead. Verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Yeah, if you've died, you are free from sin. Sin has no authority in your life anymore. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. In the same way, sin has no dominion over you. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also consider, reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying, likewise, you could, should consider yourself to be dead to your sinful ways. If you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus, if you're claiming you're going to heaven, if you're claiming to be a Christian, then you have to consider yourself to be dead. Or it all falls apart. It doesn't work. There is no grace. What Paul is saying, this is the plan. This is the grace. And without being a part of the fullness of his plan, you are not justified. You do not stand righteous before God. And you are not going to heaven. If you have not been immersed in his death,
and raised to walk in a new place. I want to finish reading a few of these places. Verse 12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. So now he's telling you this is dead, but I want you to see what he's saying here because he's telling us to take that authority and walk in it. That's what it means to walk in this newness of life is taking the authority that is given you through the death and burial and resurrection. You have authority to now do what Paul is saying in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. He's saying don't do it. Don't line up with it. Don't give it an opportunity. Don't bow down to it. I have people come all the time. They go, well, you know, I, you know, Jesus set me free of this, but I've gone back to it. Well, yeah, you did. And that's exactly right. You made the choice to go back because you had the authority to walk in newness of life. You had the power that raised Christ from the dead to walk free of sin. Verse 13 says, And do not present your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I looked up this word members, and it's interesting because it actually means weapons on a ship. So if you understand that, it means do not present your weapons as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and as your weapons of instruments as instruments of righteousness. He's saying don't use your hands and your feet and your eyes and all of your members of your body as weapons that actually fight for sin to happen, but use these weapons for the righteousness of God. Use your eyes, use your hands, use your mouth. For the righteousness of God. As I was reading this, I was so reminded of that song I, I heard growing up. And it said, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Yes, protect these weapons and use them for righteousness. Don't allow them to be drug over here into the filth of sin. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. So much truth. You have the power to walk in this place against what the enemy is trying to drag you back into. Now, I want you to read on with me. Verse 14 says, 
for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are under the law, not under the law, but under grace. Now, what I, 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 this gets so misunderstood. It's not talking about the Torah here. Paul is talking about the law of sin and death. You see, when Adam sinned, you were born into the law of sin and death. It means that you are a sinner and you will die because of it. But verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion. It shall not rule over you anymore. Why? Because you nailed yourself in unity with Christ to the cross. You made the choice to do that. And he overcame sin. For you are not under the law of sin and death anymore. Where sin has authority... Jesus overcame sin and death on the cross. And he has allowed us to, in our choices, to be a part, to be united with him in this place. And he says, you're not under that anymore. You're under grace. What is grace? Not just, okay, we're okay. Now we're all okay because we're under grace. No, you're under his plan. You're not under the plan of sin and death. You're under his plan of what? Of dying to yourself, being buried, and being raised up to walk in newness of life. Grace, his gift, his plan, his ways. Verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He says, you know, no, it doesn't, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Whoever you choose, it's your choice. This is your choice. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? So whomever you choose, you've been given the grace, the gift, the power, the authority to die to yourself, to be buried, and to be raised up to walk in a new life. You've been given that gift if you want it. But then you also have the choice to return to being a slave. You pick, you choose. Do you want to return and be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? You have a choice. Every one of us, every day. says, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, whoever you choose to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. 
But God be thanked that through you, that I'm sorry, but God be thanked, and though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that from that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. But God be thanked because he's given us this gift that even though we were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. You made a decision from your heart. And you would be delivered. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness and unlawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Just as you used to walk in sinful places, don't be there anymore. Choose to present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. Saying, you know, look at the things that you did and were ashamed of, and they, they lead to death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end ever, everlasting life. You see, he's saying that if you walk in this way, there will be fruit There'll be fruit of righteousness that leads to holiness. This fruit comes from the power of God to be in right standing with him. He will begin to orchestrate in your life fruit that you can see where you are. The law helps us to see, but there will be fruit that God will present that shows you you are in right standing. <clears throat> Verse 23, we'll end with, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. The wage of sin, the wages of sin is death. Whether you're saying you're a Christian or not. You're walking in ungodly places no matter what you say. Paul is saying the fruit will help you know where you are. But the gift of God, his grace, his plan, his way, if you receive it, and are immersed in it. Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray that you're asking lots of questions here. And I pray that you're, you're asking this question, have I been immersed into Jesus and into his death? 
Because I think what we have to see from Paul is he's not just saying it's enough to believe. You have to be immersed in his death. And he's leading us to understand the fullness of what the gospel is, not just this puny little watered-down thoughts that we have about it, but that it requires all of us. I pray that you're considering... Are you a new creation, a new man, that the old man has died and that you've seen fruit of a new person come forward? I saw a person many, many years ago that gave his life to Jesus at a very old age. And I wondered and wanted to know if there was fruit that we could see that I would know that it was real because it was somebody I loved very much. And as just a few weeks passed, we saw very quickly, one of the first things we saw is that the coarse jokes and the coarse language that was always there in the past just disappeared. The power of God that overcame what some would say were even habits. Yeah. The person had tried to quit smoking all of their life. And at 85 years old, was still smoking. But within a few weeks, they let smoke to no more. There was fruit. I know when I died to myself at 52 years old, that even though I had claimed to be a Christian since I was 12, even though I had been baptized twice, even though I went to church, even though I taught Sunday school, even though I taught vacation Bible school, even though I had a Bible, I had not died to myself. I claimed to be a Christian, and I walked in my own ways. I did what I wanted to do. And my life did not reflect a new creation, a new person, a new man. The old man looked just like the person I was. But at 52, God shook me in such a powerful way that I had to know if he was real. And I remember so well crying out to me, you have to help me know who you are. And he did. In his faithfulness and in his love, he changed my heart and he showed me who he was but I chose to surrender to who he was and I died to myself I said Lord I no longer live I don't want to live you you live in me you change me. You be who I need to be. I surrender all. 
I will walk as you ask me to walk. I will walk where you show me to walk. I will talk as you ask me to talk. I surrender all. I died to myself that day. I was immersed. I was baptized into his death. And because of my choice to be baptized in his death, he, in his power, raised me up to walk in newness of life.
Thee, my blessed, all to Thee. 